You're listening to a free version of the Fight to Repair podcast. To hear our full interview, consider becoming a premium subscriber to Fight to Repair. An annual subscription is just $5 a month and gives you early access to our original reporting on right to repair issues and exclusive access to our full-length podcasts as well as premium events, including interviews with leading figures in the right to repair movement and in-person events. To learn more, go to fighttorepair.news. Hey there, and welcome back to the Fight to Repair podcast. For those of you who are new to this podcast, I'm Paul Roberts. I'm publisher of the Fight to Repair newsletter and the host of this week's Fight to Repair podcast. This week, we bring you an interview with Willie Cade. Willie is a board member at the Repair Coalition and one of the nation's foremost advocates for a right to repair agricultural equipment. In this conversation, Willie and I talk about his work on the right to repair movement, where that was inspired by his grandfather, Theo Brown, a legendary engineer and inventor who pioneered and patented the manure spreader in 1915, among many other inventions. He worked his whole career for John Deere and later served as a board member of the Deere Corporation. In recent years, Kate has become a thorn in John Deere's side and one of the most prominent voices arguing that the company's draconian software-based monopoly on repair and service of its farm equipment are undermining farmers' rights and betraying values that helped build the company from the start, chief among them a dedication to the welfare and well-being of its customers. Willie has also been a prime mover behind efforts to get federal agencies like the EPA to crack down on Deere's efforts to misconstrue laws like the Clean Air Act to justify restrictions on customer access to software needed to repair and maintain its equipment. With Colorado's governor poised to sign into law the first state-level right to repair agricultural equipment and more than a dozen other states considering similar legislation, I sat down with Willie to talk about this unique moment in the fight for the right to repair farm equipment and what comes next. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Fight to Repair podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, the host for this episode, and we have with us in the studio Mr. Willie Cade, a fellow member with myself on the Repair.org board and a warrior for Fight to Repair in agriculture. And Willie, this is really good time to be talking to you because there is a lot going on in the near future on the Right to Repair ag subject. So I'm thrilled to have you in the studio. Welcome. Thanks, Paul. Great, great to be here. It is a wonderful week here in Ag Right to Repair. I'm just yeah. getting so excited about it. I don't blame you. I think there's a lot to be excited about. Just before we delve into that, Willie, just tell the viewers a little bit about yourself and how you came to the Right to Repair battle, which is truly a battle. Yeah, I my grandfather was on the board of directors of John Deere for 30 years. He uh, is well-known and well-loved inventor for John Deere and really helped shepherd John Deere through this period where they where they really became dominant because of the quality and the innovation that they brought to the market. And and also by the way my dad worked for a place where they use a lot of red paint. 
Some of your viewers might not know what that reference is. That means international harvester. So I come from a divided family here, if you will. And I also, in my career, have done a whole lot of work with operating systems and refurbishing computers. So this notion of marrying the technology of electronics with agriculture, it feels so comfortable and so wonderful. Like you said, your grandfather was a, an inventor of farm equipment, a ton of patents, and then very involved from very early on at the John Deere Corporation and was ended up as a member of the board of the Deere Corporation. You wrote an op-ed for me a few years ago talking about that and about how your grandfather would have been a right to repair guy. Talk a little bit about your grandfather and what your memories of him are and what his values and ethos was. One of the things that strikes me about what he would do in his work was he would constantly visit uh, the equipment that they manufactured in the field and see what the problems were. His, he kept a diary for 70 years. By the way, they're online at Worcester Polytech Institute. And so when he would go out, he would see and know and feel and understand what the farmers were doing. And one of his big concerns was safety. He, he was a national award winner for safety from the American Red Cross Association in his career. And for example, one of the issues that really came up for him was the PTO, which is the ability to connect devices behind the tractors and use the engine of the tractor. Early on, there wasn't a guard around that PTO, and, and there were huge and horrific accidents and limbs and deaths and that kind of stuff. So he started yeah. to design things to protect the farmers. And yes, it the designs worked to some extent, but not completely. So he'd go out and he talks about in one entry in his diary where the farmer had removed the shield that protected him from the PTO because it was getting caught with all kinds of debris and stuff and it wasn't working well. And so if you look at today's PTOs, they're totally encased in a tube. They're much safer. So the designs evolved. And that is the natural progression of innovation, et cetera. There's also a great story about my grandfather, an international harvester. They used to get together once a year or so and trade patents. You could use this patent if we can use that patent kind of thing. And typically what would happen is the first day would be tit for tat. And the rest of the week that they would spend together was how many of my grandfather's patents International Harvester would have to pay to use. And so he ended up with a nickname at International Harvester. His name was Theophilus, technically. But at International Harvester, they called him the Awfulest Brock. Because <laughs> he was such a competitor. Yeah. And for me, that's the key here. The key is that he was out there competing with ideas and innovation. He wasn't trying to control and limit and manage the situation. I believe that we have to get back into the world of competition and right. not because of anything other than 
quite frankly, that is the secret sauce that makes the United States uh, successful. By the way, on the other side of that, my father worked for a national harvester, and he was part of the crew, the people at International Harvester, that started to sell equipment to the Soviet Union before its breakup. And he would describe how ridiculous it was to be a farmer in the Soviet Union, because you'd have to wait like a whole year to get a piece of equipment before they built it. And that there was only one place where you could get stuff. And when I look at our markets today with agricultural equipment, what's true? It takes you a year to order a piece of equipment and you basically only get it from one one place. place to go to. It's, oh my God, we've reverted to this silly place. And by the way, I love all the technology that's getting integrated. I think it's great. I think it'll be wonderful. I just want it to be open and I want people to own it and you the fierce competitive nature that is the foundation of our success. And to be able to do what you can do with your own property, which is to repair it, maintain it, modify it if you want to. Yeah. That's, you bring up another really good point there, Paul. Yeah. Agriculture is so incredibly specific. Next time you go into a grocery store, look at the variety that exists. And there's no way a single organization, a single set of machines could produce all of that variety. It's got to come from innovations and the way people do their own specific operations. So the fundamental nature of agricultural production, because we like variety in our food, has to be a massive amount of variety. But that doesn't fit well into this kind of homogenization that's needed for large-scale production of machines. So it's it's a an oxymoron, if you will, to think that a single organization could possibly satisfy the needs of such a diverse industry. You have been on the really front lines in many ways of kind of making this argument to lawmakers. Obviously, you've testified all over the country on behalf of agricultural right to repair bills talk about the problem as you see it right now with the way that uh, product ecosystems by John Deere or Case IH or any of these major manufacturers, some of the inequities that exist and how farmers are struggling under that system. What is the reality for farmers right now out there trying to work with late model agricultural equipment? Let me answer that with kind of two themes in mind in my answer. One is this notion that there is a significant amount of control after the sale by the full-line manufacturers. And two, how come that's legal? How is that happening? So let me start with that second one. One of the thing, arguments that John Deere talks about is we let, we let them repair 
of what they want to do, quote unquote, want to do. And that 2% is prohibited by the big, bad EPA federal government. And as an argument out in the community, you say that the EPA is bad. Everybody goes, oh, yeah, that's, that makes sense to me. I understand. You're being limited by these awful bureaucrats, et cetera. And when you start to look at and go deep into the, to the laws, the Clean Air Act and the regulations through the EPA, you go, wait a minute. No. The, the law says that they have to provide that. And the law says, and the regulations say that they should. And the regulations say that you have to unconditionally certify that you follow both the law and the regulations. But obviously they don't. And they're even admitting it in writing to the SEC in their writings. But yet it's not being resolved. I'm out there going, wait a minute, time out. You need to do this. You're required to do this. EPA, I had conversations with the EPA. They said, oh, yeah, that's right. But we think it's more important to enforce this set of laws and restrict the rights of people because we don't trust farmers to do the right thing. I'm like, time out. You don't get to make those rules up. The law is a law. So frankly, I've I've asked the, the courts in Washington, D.C. to weigh in on this question. It's called a writ of mandamus. It's a technical legal term. But bottom line is, that's the power that we can have as consumers is, yeah, we've got laws. The legislator put them together. Yeah. We've got the administration that's supposed to implement them. It's not being done right. Yeah. Okay, let's take the third try out of our system and ask them to weigh in on it. So what's really happening here is we've got the tools. We know how to do this. We know how to do competition in the U.S. We're good at this and our laws are set up. But right now we're in such an environment where someone like a John Deere or a Case IH, they can work around that. I'm going to put plant my feet solidly on the ground, solidly in law and say, no, you can't do that. It's not fair to the farmers. And I'm the guy who's going to stand up and do that. Willie Cade, Right to Repair Warrior, board member at the Repair Coalition. And also proud member, local leader of Farm Action. Those guys have been phenomenal in getting, getting visibility in the federal level. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on Fight to Repair podcast. It's been great to have you on finally. Thanks, Paul. So appreciate it. Great. We'll do it again, Willie.